Drax is the largest provider of renewable electricity in the UK and plays a critical role in ensuring a secure energy system. The company has plans to invest billions in new infrastructure, such as bioenergy with carbon capture and storage, which will create thousands of jobs, whilst also delivering the energy needed by homes and businesses up and down the UK. Discover more at Drax.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots. I'm Oscar Edmondson and I'm joined today by Katie Balls and Stephen Bush, Associate Editor of the Financial Times. So conference season has kicked off this weekend with the Liberal Democrat Conference in Bournemouth and they're riding high after some by-election success. Katie, is it time that we started taking the Liberal Democrats seriously again? I think there's always a moment ahead of an election where people start to say, you know, actually the, Lib- the Liberal Democrats could be the ones that hold the balance of power, be the kingmaker in an election. And of course, it's because every time uh, you get close to an election, it is possible. But the factors that have made it tricky for the Liberal Democrats previously is, uh, you know, you can have multiple by-election successes, which we have seen. But when you get to the national campaign in a general election, the third party does often get squeezed. Yeah. And therefore, it's like, how do you avoid getting squeezed out? I think what Ed Davey has going in his favour is, if you just look historically, the Liberal Democrats tend to do quite well, or at least do better when there is a Labour Party that people are not scared about being in number 10. So one of the problems you have with Jeremy Corbyn was, I think, voters who might actually prefer to vote Liberal Democrat than Tory um, was sufficiently concerned that by doing so might hand the keys to a Labour government led yeah. by Jeremy Corbyn that they could hold a nose and vote Tory. So that has been removed. And therefore, I think, you know, Keir Starmer, Ed Davey, it doesn't exactly scream coalition of chaos, so that can work in their favour. You have in, obviously, the mid-Bedfordshire by-election coming up quite an interesting test because both Lib Dems and Labour are going for it. Mm-hmm. So for all this talk of, oh, they should have an electoral pact, it does just show that, you know, these two, it has got quite tense between the two parties and quite testy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Labour very feeling you know, the underhand tactics from the Lib Dems and neither party accepting to stand down, insisting they're the best you know way forward, which is just a reminder that when we talk about, you know, anti-Tory voting, lump together, you know, Labour, Lib Dem, Greens as some progressive coalition, they are individual parties that will disagree on quite a few things. Yeah. So, Stephen, is is it wise to pick up the Lib Dems when by-election successes are, are rarely a sort of barometer of, of big election success? Well, it's true that, you know, Lib Dem by-election successes are basically a feature of the life of every, yeah, ev- every government, ev- basically, since the reinvention of the Liberal Democrats by Joe Grimond in the 1950s has suffered painful losses to the Liberal Democrats in by-elections. Yeah. And to be honest, it's really only when the government of the day starts suffering painful losses to the opposition of the kind we have seen in Selby, mm. of the kind everyone expects we will see in Tamworth, and indeed when you see the local elections of the kind that, that we saw in May, that there starts to be any sense of government changing. But there are, I would say, three reasons why we should take the Liberal Democrats quite seriously. The first is that, as in 1992, the 2019 election did a remarkably good job of sorting seats into essentially two brackets, conservative seats where Labour are the main challenger and conservative seats where the Liberal Democrats are the main challenger. The thing about mid-beds is it does show, as Katie shows, it says that um, 
it doesn't take much for them to start. Yeah, I think uh, Peter Kyle called the Liberal Democrats feral <laughs> this week. Uh, but um, yeah, so it doesn't take too much for them to start bickering and sniping at one another. But broadly speaking, there are essentially only three or four constituencies, pretty much all concentrated in London, where there is any doubt who the main challenger is. Essentially, they're all the constituencies where you had a Change UK defector who did very well under Lib Dem colours. And the Labour argument is, well, yeah, like the Labour Party, you know, so, yeah, the Labour Party did very badly in, in Finchley and Golders Green for very specific Jeremy Corbyn reasons. The Liberal Democrats did very well for very specific Luciana Berger was the candidate reasons. Mm. Luciana Berger is now back in the Labour Party, so butt out, lads. And you then have somewhere like Wimbledon where Liberal Democrats will go, come on, look, you know that you've done artificially well there in recent years. You know it's actually one of ours. You should get... And the Labour Party who goes, well, no, actually, you know, we're the... But broadly speaking, although those four seats matter a great deal if you're, say, Greg Hands, mm. because it may be the difference between you losing to a Liberal Democrat or Labour MP and you remaining an MP, yeah. in terms of the overall struggle for power, what really matters is those 50-odd seats where it's pretty obvious the Liberal Democrats are the main challengers, where they will face absolutely no rival headwinds from the Labour Party, and where they start brilliant position politically because, you know, the whole... You know, effectively, the whole strategy of the government is to let those MPs go to the wall. So we should take them seriously because there will be more Liberal Democrat MPs after the next election than this one. But the other is, is while the Labour Party is an awful long way ahead in the polls and we have had no indication from the actual elections that the polls are wrong, the Labour Party does have to make an awful lot of seat gains, not only to be a majority party, that even at the point that the Labour Party had a majority of, say, 25 there will be more people in the socialist campaign group, so the main organisational wing of the, the left of the Labour Party, there will be more MPs in the Labour Party in the left than the size of the majority. So if you are Keir Starmer or the Labour Chief Whip, you will, in a government, be thinking, actually, I'm probably better off trying to get some deal with Ed Davey on a on a vote-by-vote -vote basis. Mm. So what Lib Dems think, what they care about, will, I think, matter in the next parliament Unless, and this is certainly possible, the very efficient um, voting patterns of, you know, the anti-conservative parties that we have seen in basically every by-election other than in mid-beds where they are, of course, both fighting it uh, very hardly and, and, and very grumpily. Unless, of course, it means that the Labour Party does so so well as the sort of central component of the anti-Tory wave. Mm. But even then, in that case, I just think there will on some issues be one be, be things where... Ed Davey will be having conversations with Keir Starmer about tricky votes, about the House of Lords, about... So, so you know, they are going to matter mm. after the next parliament one way or another. I agree with that, because also, even if Labour had a decent majority, to Stephen's point, you know, you can just you can just see a world where Keir Starmer's policies find more support from perhaps some Lib Dem MPs than John McDonnell when it comes to certain issues for getting those votes. And so you're not, uh, you know, beholden, which is something which I think really worries some in the leader's office. If you think about, for example, the Democrats, when there was the quad, and they think about the quad of AOC and others, you know, just holding things up. And therefore... There is a world where, regardless of, you know, this formal coalition or confidence supply, you know, that 
that's quite an extreme example of needing to li- liberal Democrats. I think what is probably a more likely reasonable scenario is one where they should be talking to the Lib Dems right now because the Liberal Democrats will be quite helpful for certain pieces of legislation mm. when their own side might not want to take, uh, you know, the medicine that Keir Starmer wants to give them. Yeah. And, and Katie, on, on that, do you think Labour and Lib Dems is a natural coalition, seeing as they seem to be pretty split on what could be one of the big issues. We've had Starmer this week very willing to talk about Brexit and maybe even a revised deal with the EU, whilst Ed Davies said that Brexit isn't on voters' minds and that rejoining the EU is totally off the table. I mean, I think... Ed Davey will still always want to go further than Keir Starmer when it comes to the European Union. So, I mean, Ed Davey's ruling out rejoining. Mm. But you can start, you can see lots of places where the Liberal Democrats could have quite similar interests than Labour in terms of general values. Of course, on specifics, you, you can run into things where there'd be problems. I mean... Liberal Democrats can work, as we've seen with the Tory party, that's probably actually quite a good time for the Tory party in terms of getting their plans through compared to what happened when it was just the Tories and then instead they all turned on one another. Almost the discipline of the coalition, looking back on it, led to the Tories managing to get quite a lot of things done. Mm. Um, I think that therefore that is seen as too toxic by Lib Dem... Lib- that is clearly seen as too toxic by the Liberal Democrats. I think they think the Tories got a lot more out of it than the Liberal Democrats did as a party, so they're not going to go near that. In terms of, um, I suppose, if you have a Keir Starmer-led government and they're talking about closer relationship with the EU, now, I cannot see really anything that Keir Starmer would propose in terms of softening that relationship that Ed Davey is going to say no to. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, whether it is aligning on standards or even currently, of course, uh, you know, Keir Starmer's not talking about customs union mm. or single market, but mm. I can see a world where the Liberal Democrats are quite happy to be as closely aligned as possible. So mm. you're only going to get backing from that side. Mm. I don't think Ed Davey has to do the balancing act that Keir Starmer has to do in terms of some of those Red Bull seats. It's a party that's very happy to say that they are pro-EU and they think it was a mistake. They're just drawing the line at having a referendum to rejoin. Mm. And what, what do you make of that, Stephen? I mean... Brexit's a pretty pretty toxic issue in the uh, in the Liberal Democrat Party, considering they ran on this sort of stop Brexit ticket last time out, and that failed catastrophically. Yeah, I mean the thing is though is, I think the number of Liberal Democrats who think that their central problem in that election was their Brexit position can be counted on the fingers of one hand. Right, they would say that they had, that their central problem was that they were broadly speaking targeting conservative remain voters who really didn't like brexit but really feared jeremy corbyn and their kind of strategy to get out of that was to go oh don't worry because joe swinson's going to be prime minister and because that was not plausible it essentially meant that they were basically running around going hey your fears are correct um but you know they have they essentially have the same kind of a lower scale version of Labour's problem, right? Labour's problem is is that the majority of voters they want and need either didn't want Brexit to happen or now say that it was a mistake. But there is a crucial third of the vote vote that Labour is targeting that did want Brexit to happen and at the least is still kind of faintly enthusiastic about it. In, you know, seats like, you know, seats in what we now think of as the Red Wall. And in seats that the Liberal Democrats held until 2015, you know, some seats in Cornwall, some seats in the kind of more affluent parts of the, the nor- of the North, the Liberal Democrats are similarly bumping up against a, a more pro-leave chunk of their ex-voting base. But precisely for the reasons Katie outlines, the, the Liberal Democrats essentially in a position where for them that means triangulating around 
hey, it would be nice to be back in the single market, but don't worry, we won't be in the political project. Whereas a Labour's position is always going to be somewhere in the like, oh, it would be nice to be aligned on agri-food, but don't worry, we're not going to be in the single market. Also, essentially, like the politics of, of a Labour or a Labour and Liberal Democrat agreement of some kind will be basically, we want to get as close to the EU as we think the median British voter will allow us. The constraint will never be like the internal politics of those two parties. It will be how, yeah, it will be, you know, how far can they push it? Just as we, kind of the reverse dynamic, right? The, the government would love to diverge on more things, but they, you know, they fear what will happen. Yeah, they fear that farmers will get even angrier if they diverge further. They fear, you know, even more difficult headlines of the kind they did actually, you know, very bravely try and take on with nutrient neutrality. So yeah, it's. I think actually the the real issue in a in a Labour Liberal Democrat arrangement of any kind will be one: what happens to the House of Lords? Right, the Labour Party comes in with this big problem, and essentially the average Labour peer was put in there by Tony Blair for services to not joining the SDP and fighting the trots, and they are they are quite old. The you know the average Labour you know like although broadly speaking when you look at the headline numbers Conservatives and Labour have the same number of peers mm. you know the average Conservative working peer is quite a lot younger um, in the nicest possible way I think we would expect them to have many more years of being an effective legislator quite a lot of the Labour peers are near the end of their time in the House of Lords and indeed the mortal plane. And so Labour is going to need to do something to fix that. That's going to be difficult. The Lib Dems, of course, will be will be saying, well, what we'd like is a proportionally elected chamber because that is an existential gift for them. The Labour Party will want what the Labour Party always does on the Lords, which is they'll basically want some way of getting their business through it and the mechanism will be secondary. And the other thing that the two parties will disagree on inevitably always will be law and order. You know, the the Labour Party, I mean, one of the funniest things is I feel the Labour Party has this image in Westminster of like this kind of liberal lovey-dovey people. The Labour Party has never seen a a crackdown on criminals and it didn't like love the look of i mean you know if labor were in office they wouldn't just be banning the bully xl probably you know the home secretary would be going around the country shooting them herself <laughs> um and you know it's actually been the liberal democrats and the liberal conservative tradition that have mostly been going oh id cards not so sure about that you know dog asbos not so sure about that and that will be a source of tension where uh, will be liberty issues and i think just going back to that 2019 election um what went wrong for them, of course, saying Joseph Swinson was going to be prime minister was not credible, but they're trying to get right out of that issue. And then, of course, Joe Swinson actually lost her own seat. But one of the reasons when you speak to Lib Dems about the blame game that followed is there is a sense that they just they broadened their resources too far. They tried to go for too many seats, partly because they went on this gambit of, you know, she's going to be the prime minister. And therefore, one of the really big decisions that Liberal Democrats need to make is how many target seats are they going to go for? What is their focus? Because if you aim too high and actually you end up in a repeat, that is clearly what they need to avoid. But also they'll be looking at, uh, you know, what's happening with the Tories, recent by-elections, and you know, even the local election results for Windsor, you know, Eton, the ward of Eton turned Lib Dem, and thinking, you know, that will encourage them to be a bit more ambitious. And I don't know if I think that's just going to be one of the tactical calculations they're going to have to make. And part of what we're going to be hearing from Lib Dem Conference will be on the Sunday when there's going to be you know, a big focus on the blue wall and taking those seats from the Tories. Mm. But, you know, 
is it credible that the Liberal Democrats could oust Jeremy Hunt from his Surrey seat? Some people think that could be a good target. It'd be a, a good one to go for. I think they also think if you actually think about, you know, the South West, I think that's an area where the Liberal Democrats think they can make some gains. And there are some uh, who think, oh, the Liberal Democrats on a really good night could oust Michael Gove because look what happened to his council in the local elections. Yeah. And therefore, if you... <laughs> but, but also, I'm looking at Stephen's face as I say this, some of that does not seems so credible when you think about a general election but that is a temptation issue which is how, how ambitious to decide to be based on those results yeah uh, people i realized are i'm very unhelpfully in an audio medium people can't see me nodding vigorously uh, in the 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 failure mode of liberal democrat campaigns has often been a tendency for the party to lose a very winnable seat by about a thousand or so votes because in the short campaign they suddenly go oh maybe we can take out this high profile cabinet minister uh you know like i mean in 2019 it, it, as well as the high political reasons and yeah went wrong we shouldn't forget right then essentially like they lost their leader's seat while getting, yeah, having a lot of money and time trying to win Kensington, where they came third. Uh, you know, these some of these seats in London where they think they're the challenger, where they have these high-profile Change UK defectors, I do think they are almost certainly wasting their time. And when you think about how close they got, even, you know, in very... When you consider how close they came to getting Dominic Raab, you kind of think, well, look, if they hadn't spent any time in Kensington, they probably would have got an extra seat that time around. And although this stuff only matters at the margin in terms of the big picture result, one of the things that Ed Davey, who obviously has been around the block, who has, you know, you know, worked with Paddy Ashdown, so he, you know, he does know what a good and effective Lib Dem campaign that gains a lot of seats looks like. The thing he continually tells his allies is, look, we need to have a seat count maximisation strategy. Mm. And he is going to really try and hold the line against that tendency that parts of the party have to do exactly what Katie described. Of course, he may not succeed. The Liberal Democrats, yeah, one of my favourite uh, anecdotes which is about the differences between the parties and the coalition negotiations in 2010, and they'd all finished up at the, the high of high-level talks. And, um, yeah, they're talking. And so, yeah, kind of David Cameron kind of says, you know, well, what happens now? And Danny Alexander says, well, you know, this goes to our parliamentary party and then to our federal committee and then our standing committee and our sitting committee. What happens with you? And William Hague turns to him and goes, well, he's the leader and he's decided, so that's it. And this is the thing is that although Ed Davey is very aware and I think wholly correct about the things that the Liberal Democrats have done well, would Ed Davey, I'm sure if he were here, would well, he would not be nodding along because he'd have to be pretending to be diplomatic, but he would be agreeing with everything Katie had just said. But because it's a much more democratic party, there is always that question of will Ed Davey be able to hold the line, uh, make sure that he does end up with his activists in the right right places. Whenever I I mean, whenever I hear a liberal Democrat talk about how they might take out Michael Gove, I mentally add one seat to the conservative tally because (laughs) I just just, I mean, it's just a story we've all seen before of them like getting greedy and just wasting resources in these like these glamorous long shots when what they really ought to be doing and the thing which is really exciting for that party isn't the problem they have had since they became the third party is that they haven't had a reliable base of support who will actually stick with them when they're in office making difficult decisions and they haven't had a cohesive voter base Mm. And, and the big prize that i think is on offer for the liberal democrats is that that 
chunk of um, affluent, socially concerned, you know, kind of suburban and exurban Britain used to be the kind of bedrock of kind of Cameroon-era conservatism is up for grabs. And if they can take a large chunk of those seats, say 20 or 30, that is a coherent, cohesive base that you can build a serious party that can, you know, doesn't need to fear coalitions. Mm. And I think that's the thing they ought to be focusing on. It's definitely the thing Ed Davey wants to be focusing on. But yeah, I mean... It does feel so plausible that that they will, in the short campaign, be like, yeah, let's try and take out Michael Gove. Great. Well, thank you, Katie. Thank you, Stephen. And thank you very much for listening.